quest my name is taylor my, and i'm Rhett. oh i was gonna i was gonna introduce you i was gonna say my handsome co-host Rhett weisenfels well you 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 could do it again you could do it again welcome to game devs quest my name's wet <laughs> <laughs> and i'm taylor <laughs> oh, dude ah uh, but uh yeah welcome back um man i don't, I don't even... know about you taylor but this this week's been kind of strange. It's been a strange week. Yeah, follow up to last week. Last week felt strange, and then this week felt, I don't know, even more strange for some reason. Uh, I know you were in Reno, which changes things like our communication path. and. Uh, yeah, well, and then what was we- really weird about it is so, like, we recorded our podcast last Friday... And I left later on, like, late that night, early the next morning. Went to Reno. I got back late Tuesday night. And, like, here we are recording again. And it's, like, weird because, like, I know I got back on Tuesday. Like, it wasn't that long of a trip. But those two days went by very unproductively for me. Yeah, like... And here we are. It's Friday, and I feel like we literally just recorded (laughs) and coded last friday (laughs) yeah well i mean you had like 18 or 20 hours in the car right uh yeah yeah give or take yeah so did you listen to any like good podcasts or anything while you're going yeah i got my father-in-law in on dan carlin's hardcore history we listened to like the first the first two sessions of um wrath of of the cons um, or what's the one no, no, Blueprint uh, for Path to Armageddon. Yeah, or... Blueprint for Armageddon. Blueprint for Armageddon, and also Destroyer of Worlds, which, if you haven't listened to yet, like, holy Is that the most recent one? Crap. Yeah, yeah and it's I'm a listening blitz, to that right now. And he now. describes, like, he wanted to create, uh, he wanted to create, like, a smaller, more digestible <clears throat> session for people to like listen to. And it's, like, six hours. Of his podcast. <laughs> and it's six and a half hours. <laughs> but, dude, yeah. but he's so right. And I And it's, like, I was telling Bailey's dad... It's like the beauty of this is like if you like history and even if you don't like I can sort of understand a person who's not a history buff. Um, but I've always been one of these people. I've never really described myself as a history buff for a really long time. And I would watch shows on like the History Channel, Discover, and I find myself getting sucked into these like little personal tales of stuff. But ultimately, it's only like 40 minutes long with commercial, you know, after commercials. So you don't really get a chance to like dive into the tiny little details that make it feel real. And with Dan Carlin, dude, like blueprint for Armageddon, man, like he's talking about the events that led up to the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. And it, and and it goes on it, for like these tiny four hours, little, dude, <laughs> for real, yeah. man. And all of these tiny little details. And it's like, dude, I I've read and reread, 
George R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire. I've reread all of these epic fantasies that like supposedly have like really fre- fleshed out worlds. And five years ago, I was the guy that was like, I would rather read in the world of Middle Earth because it's so – look at this long history. It has a whole book about history. Uh, the Silmarillion. Well, yes, what I didn't take into account as a young man was that real world has thousands of history books, not just one. Um, <laughs> which sounds like a stupid, like a stupid concession to make, but, uh, no dude, like, so when I was driving from Albany to Salem every day for work for two years, I, I binged on a lot of podcasts and none of them made an impact on me like hardcore history has and you were the one who recommended yeah. that to me dude and dude i i don't know i can't even like describe how awesome that show is it i i mean i i come back to it every time and and honestly like now i've listened to like all the episodes and i've listened to like most of his other podcast common sense and i just love listening to dan carlin talk like yeah the way he talks is amazing like it grips you it really grips you i love how he always talks about like other people's perspectives like yes you know he'll go he'll be talking about world war one and he'll go through the perspective that every you know faction in the war had and it's just so interesting um i was listening to um what was it? Destroyer of Worlds, the the latest podcast. Yeah. And again, like he hasn't put he he notoriously puts out like one episode of Hardcore History every like four months or something, just because they're so in depth and long. Um, and so I haven't listened to one for a while, but I listened to it and it just like brought me back. And it actually um brought me to like wanting to make a game that had historical elements like it made me like in my head kind of reminisce about the times where i was playing age of empires like in middle school right and uh, i was telling alia about how i kind of became interested in history because of age of empires and you i know, can see that like i was you know all the different civilizations have their u- unique units they have different stats i was talking about like how the Conqueror's expansion came out and like the Aztecs and Mayans uh, were so cool and like hard to play as because they didn't have cavalry. And like, that's a little detail um, that matches like history, I guess. But yeah, like, horses those... weren't native to the Americas. Yeah. And uh, so those little details like just gripped me. And I remember going into the game and sitting in the main menu and there's like a little history tab you could click on and like reading the histories of all these different civilizations. And dude, I got, I just got so interested in history from that game. And so listening to hardcore history, I'm like, dude, I really want to make a game um, that gets people interested in history, just how hardcore history has kind of like brought it back for me. Um, well, what's funny is this like kind of ties into like what I was saying before, like how that was kind of one of my things with writing. And when I was first like putting my toes into development, like one of the things I really wanted to do is like make kind of like an educational choose your own adventure app mm-hmm. that you could like market to schools like that middle age, 
like late elementary school, middle school age children. And these, and the kids could go through and like play on their phones or whatever. Um, and like make decisions like, and the one example I used was like the Oregon trail, right? Which like from a, just a vast historical perspective is like not that interesting. But when you consider like often as Oregonians ourselves, like in school, like we had to learn about kind of like the hardships that a person would face, like while trying to cross and it makes it much more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I know what you mean. <laughs> it's very cool. I, I got inspired. And the funny thing is, um, like that same day that I was thinking about that, I ended up um, browsing Google Play, the Play Store on uh, Android, and uh, came across a couple games. I was like thinking this week, I was like, you know, I should start playing mobile games a little bit more so I can get a feel for what they're like. I've never been that big of a mobile gamer. And uh, so I installed several games. I got kind of excited. Um, I've never owned a Nintendo, uh, but Mario Run came out for Android recently. And so I installed Mario Run, which is a fun game. Um, And then on top of that, I, after clicking Mario Run and installing it, they had like suggested games for me. And I saw yeah. one that has been on my Steam wish list for like two years called uh, Valiant Hearts or Valiant Heart. Right, yeah. I don't know if you've played it. I've um, seen it on Humble Bundle. Well, I I ended up picking it up on my phone. Um, and dude, like it was really just funny because I was thinking so much about history and, and Valiant Hearts is a World War One game. And... There's, like, not a ton amount of, like, required history in the game or whatever. Like, they don't talk about it a ton, but there is, like, the historical elements. They talk about different things that I remembered from Blueprint for Armageddon, the, the World War One hardcore history episode. Uh, and it just fit right there. And I was like, man, like, this is cool. I, I could see myself making a game themed in some type of history. Uh, or time in history basically and uh doing something like this valiant hearts like valiant heart it's kind of like a little puzzle game um kind of like machinarium or anything like that uh, but it's like happening during the great war and uh you know each time you pass a level or whatever they go to a little cutscene that talks about what's going on in the war at that time um which is cool and uh, it may not be, like, the most educational, but I find that really fascinating. Um, and, you know, finding ways of getting people interested in history is, is something cool because I feel like, um, you know, people, young people these days lack the interest in history. That, and maybe it's something that you you gain as you get older, but having a historical context to like examine the world and understand the world around you, I just feel like is really important. And so finding a way to like get people interested in history would be really cool. I agree. Um, I agree. So anyways, I kind of like wrapped all of that into it's like kind of being related to the, the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it is, it is, uh, you know, and it kind of, it's interesting because, it kind of ties in with something we want to talk about um, when we get rolling here. Um, 
you know, from Chris Avalon and his oh. uh, perspective. Yeah. Um, um, it's funny because, like, me and Lee, this is something that we talk about a lot, is, like, you know, and I kind of said it earlier, it's, like, for me, just being absorbed into a world was enough. And for and when I was a kid, it was, like, Middle Earth was one of those. And then, of course, like, um, you know, like, the world of Wheel of Time and the world of Sort of Truth and now the Four Corners of, of the Name of the Wind series – um, also the seven kingdoms, like these things like felt so fleshed out. Well, there's games that do the same thing and I think do a pretty good job of it. And mm-hmm. like Morrowind is one that's my favorite, um, where you can just like deep dive into lore and feel like you can never come out on the other side, almost like real life, except considerably smaller and scale. You know? yeah. Um, um, but then there's other ones that are like the same and, <clears throat> and, uh, we can talk about that more in a little bit. I just wanted to, um, insert that segue i suppose yeah we uh we have a couple of really good resources uh that i think are worth talking about this week um well first but... um how, how did you how did you do on last week's goals <laughs> i was gonna segue into that too um <clears throat> one of the goals was to tweet twice a day yeah i don't know if i tweeted twice a day every day there were some days i was more active you were pretty than consistent others. though yeah i felt pretty consistent and um it was fun i i I get so obsessed with dumb things sometimes, but I was like watching, I was like watching our Twitter like all the time, um, which is stupid. I was like, man, I I wish we had more followers. Like, (laughs) uh, I want people to like know what we're doing and whatever else. So I was on Twitter quite a bit, um, tweeting things out and I wish that we had more content to deliver at this point, but it's fun just like, you know, tweeting something and, most of my tweets were like inspirational, I guess, but I feel like if we can inspire one person to make strides in game development or any aspect of, you know, positively changing their life, that would be worthwhile. So, right. Um, we did, uh, create a Reddit account. Um, we made a post about our podcast, but it seemed to just kind of disappear into the ether. Yeah. And I don't know why. Yeah. I think we just got to get more involved on the subreddits that we want to be. Um, that's kind of like Reddit has a lot of gatekeepers. Yeah. Um, which is kind of unfortunate. The unfortunate part about it. I mean, you know, you have, to, I mean, obviously because the way it works, you know, it's just the messaging board. Like each messaging board has its own rules and its own, um, especially like, I mean, you can go onto a message board and you can't just say anything. Right. Like, you can be censored pretty quickly on a message board or, like, kicked altogether. Um, which, on one hand, is kind of, like, a crummy aspect of Reddit. But on the other hand, it is a good thing because, like, there are places that are, like, supposed to be safe places for people to, like, share their ideas without, you know, being trolled by a-holes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of and... a... I feel like it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. Like, it might... In our case, I felt kind of negative about it, but I can totally understand why it's set up that way. You don't just want people spamming the boards with stupid stuff. Yeah, I can honestly say, like, I believe most people's first um, experiences with, like, creating a Reddit account and, and, like, posting and being involved that way are usually always negative. (laughs) Um, 
Like, I haven't met anyone who's like, I created a Reddit account and I had only fun. Like, <laughs> no, you post something and then somebody's like, this was posted seven months ago, you asshat. Or you do something else and they're like, follow the rules, you idiot. You know, it's just like, and nobody's nice about it. Like, geez. Um, I don't know. I feel like. And then, and then the other thing is like, what's annoying is like, you get those people who say negative things to you. And then if you go on and are critical of anybody else's posting, then people are like, just downvote you. And they're like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, well, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I like Reddit and loathe it at the same time. Yeah. It's definitely a great resource. Like I use it for my job all the time, honestly. Like they have a system administrator message board. That is fantastic. And same with like PowerShell or C Sharp. Um, that are really good. Good starting places for trying to get into some kind of topic. Right. Um, I agree with that. I think we talked about it quite a bit last week. Yeah. Um, but that's good. Yeah. Uh, Twitter's been going really well. I didn't get a chance to post nearly as much as I wanted because I spent a whole week pretty much without internet access. <laughs> um, I did have some. But uh, I had, like, really poor reception on my phone, and right now I'm only rocking 3G. Ah. Uh, I know. I'm a barbarian from the Stone Age. Um, <laughs> That's all but, good. So I just kind of went out of my way to not uh, be on it as much as I would be. Not just Twitter, but, like, the internet in general. Um, That's probably a good thing to do when you're on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a pretty good way to unplug, you know. Yeah. And I, did, uh, I didn't get as much reading done as I wanted to, but uh, got a chance to, like, listen to some music. Uh and do some writing. It was kind of fun. Like we were, uh, we stayed at Harris in Reno, oh, cool. um, which is a casino, and we got a really good deal on a room. And we were like almost to the top floor, and so we had a really good view of the city. And the mountains are just really beautiful up there. Um, I kind of enjoyed the scenery. A lot of people don't, but um, I got a lot of writing done actually from in front of the window. Um, felt really good. Nice. Give you some inspiration. But um, yeah. And as far as the other challenge went, uh, I know that we <laughs> we didn't nearly get as far on it uh, as we wanted to. I did do I did manage to do like fifteen minutes of sketching yeah. a day, but um, as far as programming goes, like I really didn't have the time. Also, um, no computer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like I had a I had my Chromebook with me, which um, without internet is like kind of useless. <laughs> yeah. So I did, I had my, I did bring like the shit I wanted to work on for writing on it, but you know, you, I, you don't have much room on a Chromebook. It's all like cloud-based and um, stuff like that. So, yeah, I was kind of in a similar vein. I, uh, I don't know. I haven't been nearly as inspired lately about code, um, which has been unfortunate. I go through kind of waves where I'm like really stoked about it and, do a lot and like spend a couple hours, you know, every day coding the last like week or two. Um, it's been kind of a struggle. I haven't felt that inspired. I did some cat like coding, uh, tutorials for unity stuff, which has been cool. Um, one of the ones that I did this week was like, he has, you kind of create this like nucleus thing and you're basically trying to like, uh, make your computer lag a lot like making the frame mm -hmm. rate really low and uh it's it was cool i didn't get very far on it but he has you program it so that like it spawns like these spheres 
and there's like a proton and a neutron that are colored in different ways and they like are attracted to each other and so they just kind of like clump up in the middle of your screen and just more of them keep spawning until your computer starts lagging um, <laughs> it was cool seeing it all work and where I, I didn't find that I got a lot out of the programming because I like some of the concepts he's using, I feel like are pretty specific to Unity and like beyond my scope of knowledge at this point. But I did learn a little bit about like meshes and being able to like create a mesh and change colors of materials and things like that, which was cool. Just being able to kind of navigate Unity a little better uh, was cool. Yeah. It made me want to uh, continue doing the unity course that we have kind of put on hold. Um, Cause I think the stuff that cat like coding is getting into is quite advanced compared to where we're at. Um, but it, yeah, reg- I can see that. It looked like it's at the, um, uh, the curve went up very steeply on cat like coding. Yeah. And like everything for the most part is generated with code. Um, so you're not really doing a whole lot of GUI stuff, which I think is fine, but uh, gets somewhat complicated if you don't actually sit down and like think about everything that that he's talking about. And the guy like is good. I really like the tutorials, but he kind of assumes you know what he's talking about in some cases, which is rather confusing in certain parts. So. Um, just been trying to kind of go along with that when I can, when I'm, when I don't have any kind of inspiration for code, I might hop on there and do a little bit. Um, that's good. I was much more inspired this week again, just like last week to do some art. And, uh, I kind of want to maybe use that as a segue to talk about one of my, uh, resources of the week. Yeah. I don't really know how I discovered this guy. I think maybe I saw a post on Twitter. Uh, from this guy that was like retweeted by one of the bots or whatever. Um, but I discovered this guy uh, who goes by Akebit on YouTube and I think on Twitter. And uh, Akebit is an artist for a game called Dungeon League. And I hadn't heard of that uh, before until I looked it up. But it's all like pixel based, uh, pic- like pixel art. And uh, he does all the art, I think. Um, and the art looks really cool. Um, I haven't really checked out the game too much, but it looks like it might be kind of fun. Um, but basically, if you go to his uh, YouTube channel, he has a lot of useful stuff on there. Um, one of them is a whole segment. I think there's like 16 videos that he calls How to Pixel Art. And he goes kind of through all the basics with you. Um started off telling you the different kind of programs you could download. Um, and then he goes into just drawing like really basic pixel art. He starts on like a 16 pixel by 16 pixel grid and he draws like a heart for the first one then like a potion and a cat and a coin. And they're all like really basic, but the things he starts talking about are I think really beneficial. He talks about shading about like doing outlines for your what you're trying to draw, about color selection, um, different techniques uh, like dithering, um, which is I hadn't even heard of really until I watched his videos. Um, and oftentimes, like he's just drawing, 
and he doesn't really even talk all that much, but seeing this guy who's a great artist, like create something from scratch um, and seeing the techniques he used, that by itself, like you could almost mute the video and that by itself would be worth watching. But if you do listen to the audio, he throws in these little tips like in each of his in each of his videos that are really useful. Um, like I was just telling Rhett before we started podcasting, uh, one of his recommendations when you start um, doing pixel art and you get to a point where you want to have like shadows is to like pick kind of like a halfway point on your character or item and just uh, after that halfway point kind of adjust the colors to be like a little bit darker um, and just by adding that little amount of of color difference it really like adds this dynamic to your art that makes it look kind of like you know going from being something that's kind of stale to something that looks closer to being like professional i guess um yeah so that was really exciting um his his tutorials are really good i'm excited i'm gonna just be watching basically all of his videos um the tutorials are really good but he also has this thing called pixel dailies which I found really useful. I only watched one of them. It's the first one that he does. And basically, um, somebody like tweets out a theme or something uh, for a Pixel Daily, and then he like chooses that theme and like comes up with something to draw about it. Like the first one was all all the tweet was was fireworks, and he was like, "Well, I've been thinking about this idea with uh, like a goblin that's like holding a firework." And he's kind of like, uh, you know, some sort of like engineer, like explosives expert or something. And uh, man, like watching him just take that concept in his mind and just he the video is like 22 minutes. And he he just takes that concept and he just whips it right, like whips it out, like right in front of you. And like, nice. it is so good. Like the final product is awesome. And you see, like, the whole process he goes through. One thing that I really learned from him, um, which I guess goes with any kind of trade or art or whatever, is to not be scared of experimenting. He, like, goes with, like, a blank slate, and he just starts kind of, like, clicking around. And he's like, that pixel doesn't look right, so he deletes it. Or, like, oh, you know, I think this might need, like, a little bit darker color. And then he you know, makes it darker, whatever. And then later on, it's kind of like how we were talking about with coding where like we had made a whole bunch of code that ended up being useless. So then we just deleted it later. He does the exact same thing with his art and it was kind of cool to see. It made me a little less scared to just try things. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. Like I think it's, it's really important for a lot of artists, uh, whether you're, uh, you know, uh, coding or drawing or, doing music like to not really get too precious about um your stuff because the best ideas don't happen from the thing that you've been mulling over for two years right like or whatever it might be like if you're really zeroing in on this code the best code that you're going to come up with is when you come at it fresh and you're like oh here's the solution to that problem mm-hmm. here you go and th- like why hang on to that other bit like there's nothing to be precious about it and it's it's the same with writing like i often tell people 
when I do National Novel Writing Month in November, NaNoWriMo, they're like, all right, well, I'll go. I'll take this as an opportunity to work on my story. That's something you hear a lot with writers. My story or my song is another one with musicians. And and I'm like, no, no, no. The whole point of NaNoWriMo is to just kill your your darlings, basically, and start over from scratch. Just come up with any old idea and run with it. And you'll be amazed at the ideas that you come up with when you're not carrying this baggage around with you of being all precious about stuff. When you learn to kill your darlings and not be precious, it's a whole new world out there. Yeah, like basically what you're saying is like you've made something and it's something you like or you're proud of but it's not perfect yet but you're kind of like scared to make adjustments on it because you think you might like ruin it or something right yeah i fall into that a lot and like seeing this guy work dude it's like wow he doesn't care at all he's like well you know i don't really care what i'm doing i'm just making this and if it sucks yeah who cares (laughs) i think that's like the importance of like doing whatever craft you're working on at least a little bit every day. Like um, every day I do, well, so like this last week I did sketching 15 minutes a day, but I also do like 10 or 15 minutes of like free writing in a journal. Mm -hmm. And it really, you just write whatever and you don't get precious about it. And that's the thing I'm learning with sketching is like, you know, like one of my favorite exercises with sketching right now is just doing like the floating boxes, right? And and you create like a little perspective line and in the distance are like the more, you know, the more distant the box, obviously, like the smaller it is. And then as you wind down this little line that you've created, you get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you just have these boxes like from any perspective, just like floating, basically. And if I were going to get precious about how these boxes were looking like I would never draw a box. You know what I mean? But yeah. I have a goal of like putting a hundred of them on the page. Like you just got to do it yeah. and you learn real quick. Like, well, you just go do, do, do doesn't did that. Oh, that one didn't work. So there you go. You just go off and do the next one. And that's how you challenge yourself. And that's how you expand yourself. And I think it applies to code. And I think it applies to every other craft that you can think of. Um, yeah, for sure, man. Sometimes you just got to do it, you know? Yeah. You just got to do it. I think that's, Something I learned back in the Monster Addict days. Um, anybody who knows me knows I was in a crappy band called the Monster Addict. And uh, we weren't good, but <laughs> we were pretty well respected because we just did it. You know, we didn't get precious about our songs. Our songs were anywhere from 40 seconds to like a minute and a half. And we weren't ever concerned about how much time we got on stage if we drove an hour and they're like okay you only have 10 or not 10 minutes that would be stupid but like you only have 20 minutes or whatever it's like all right screw it here we go boom play 20 minutes and off stage like i don't know (laughs) i'm rambling here but it's because i think it's such a good point to make and a lot of people get wrapped up in it in the wrong way and then they claim that they have like artist block yeah and when in reality you don't have any ailment or like physical obstacle blocking you it's just you in your mind right also destroy what's most precious to you and move on <laughs> i i want to point out uh, <laughs> maybe we should name our episode like my precious or something because you, you said <laughs> you said the word precious probably like eight times in the span of like three <laughs> minutes <laughs> my precious 
Oh man. <laughs> but no, you do you do make a good point. Um and I think that that's uh a valuable lesson I feel like I learned this week, so good. Um also this goes back a little bit, but I, I mentioned it to this this to you earlier, but like when uh when RB Whitaker like liked our post on Twitter. Yeah. I was like, he like liked he it. He like liked it, dude. Uh, <laughs> I was so jazzed. Um, yeah, I. Th- that's totally off topic, but like, I was talking to my wife Allie about it. Like, I read, I read his book that we recommended to you, the C Sharp Player's Guide, and yeah. Rhett made a post this week uh, recommending his tutorial series, and he liked it. I was like, hell yeah, dude! I was like, whoa, dude, this is so cool. He only has like a hundred followers, but dude, that guy's like a legend in my perspective. I'd love to talk dude, to that for guy. For real, like I would too, because his like his tutorial was like paramount to our project to getting this podcast started. I mean, yeah, I don't want to toot my own horn, Taylor, but without me, would there be a podcast? Like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> And I only say that because without me, you'd be just coding alone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Probably... I mean, you'd be making better stuff. Whatever, dude. <laughs> you'd still be successful. Uh, but, you know, but we like, wouldn't who have would you such talk a to? sick theme song, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, anyways, like, man, I just found that so cool. And that, like, really kind of got me excited about everything once again. So, like, another point this week like don't be afraid to reach out to people we didn't really reach out to him but uh like he might get a response and maybe someday yeah we'll ask him to be yeah, on the thanks, podcast Tim Ferriss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right because <laughs> that that's what he says yeah. all the time he's like just you what do you have to lose by asking yeah <laughs> uh, um anyways but yeah no that'd be that'd be awesome that, i really admire his book and his tutorial. It's like very well written. Go out and check it out. If you haven't, we've yeah. tweeted about it. We've uh, also talked about it on the podcast. Very, very, very useful. Well, also like he created this little site um, to host like all of his work and everything. And like, it doesn't seem like it gets a lot of traffic, but like the people that are on there seem like hardcore followers. Um, and and yeah. he does like, like I wouldn't have really known other than, by the title of the book being the player's guide to C sharp or whatever. But like the book itself is like all about just C sharp. It's not really about anything related to games, but like he takes all of his knowledge with C sharp and then applies it to gaming on his website, which I find yeah. really cool. And uh, I just respect that guy. I hope, I hope we can like sometime contact him and, uh, and get him get some kind of response or ask him a question and see what he thinks about something, you know? Anyway. Dude, anyways. here's your challenge for this week. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> boy. All right. Anyways. <laughs> um, let's see. So that kind of covers our goals for the week. Um, I did uh, make some progress with pixel art. And I, I have this idea in my head. I really like uh, the like art we have for our podcast, but I thought it'd be cool to make a challenge for myself to eventually make like a game devs quest, like pixel art uh, thing. 
And uh, so that's something that I'm going to be constantly kind of working towards. I did a little bit with like landscape. It wasn't great, but uh, I think I learned some from it. And I like kind of studied, you know, like when you open Stardew Valley and it like shows that scene where it's like panning up on this, like the mountains and stuff and like the birds are flying yeah. by. Dude, I want to make something like that. <laughs> like it's so beautiful and uh peaceful like i put that as my my desktop background this week and i just like just like looking at it so i want to make something like that for our podcast so that's that's a challenge to myself um anyways cool man um another thing i wanted to mention just because we're rambling uh this week was sick for oregon because yes Oregon Ducks are going to the Final Four, baby. Uh, Did you watch that at home? I, we, uh, Allie and I went up to my parents' house and we watched it up there. And it was really funny because um, one of my sister's friends uh, from Japan is visiting. Uh, his name's Tanch Takahiro, and uh, he like was talking about the Oregon Ducks like kind of being cool and how he wanted like you know. Uh, sweatshirt or something that said like Oregon on it uh and uh then like the game was on and he had never watched like a game before and it was this game like the elite eight game (laughs) and like me and my dad like everyone is like screaming at the tv like so excited because like I don't know I mean we beat Kansas and Kansas everyone's like saying they're gonna win the whole thing uh, well, they were the first seed in our bracket, right? Yeah. So yeah, we we won our bracket. We beat Kansas, which I think was a statement. Now we play North Carolina, who's good. I feel like if we can beat Kansas, we could probably beat North Carolina. And if we can beat North Carolina, I think we're taking the taking the ship, dude. That would be pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, it's really it's really frustrating because like so I watched the game down in Reno, and honestly, the uh, watching the game for us was kind of an afterthought. Uh, we were walking past the, you know, the high rollers lounge, basically, where they're like hanging out, <clears throat> watching the game, and we're like, "Oh shoot, we should sit down." So we sat down, got some drinks, started, and you know, these guys had like money rolling on this game. Did who were they betting um, for mostly? Not Oregon. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there was plenty. There was plenty of Oregon uh, people in Reno, but I don't think there was a single one in that room. And uh, well, the spread—I don't know what the spread was, but I bet Oregon was probably at least a ten-point underdog, right? I can't remember, but they were the under—they were the underdog for that pick yeah. for 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 Vegas odds. Damn, you should have picked um, Oregon, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put any money on it. Yeah. Uh, I should have though. We just watched it, and uh, it was it was a blast. But what's really irritating is like everywhere outside of Oregon, like. Oregon is kind of just an afterthought. Like I was listening on the news, like on the radio down there and they're like, well, who do you think, you know, how, how are they going to do and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you got to keep your eye on, <laughs> on, uh, who's the next team we're playing? North Carolina, yeah, North Carolina. Yeah. They're like, you got to keep your eye on North Carolina, you know? And if they, if they beat Oregon, you know, then they're going to play South Carolina and, uh, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> And they never they talked about all the teams except for Oregon. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> like well, Oregon was just an afterthought. I was like, 
bitch. <laughs> yeah, this is this is like the closest I've ever followed their basketball team. I followed them before, uh, but not like this season. This year, like we moved to Eugene this year. My wife goes to U of O, and uh, we get we got a bunch of tickets to the basketball games this year. And like I just felt like I kind of got to know this team, and we. You know, it it's just a lot of fun following them. So I'm like really invested this year. And I noticed like during the tournament, so we started out playing Iona, who I'd never even heard of. And we were the favorites there. But ever since that, I mean, we were the three seed for the bracket, which I feel like is like higher than what we should have been. Like, I feel like we should have been like a two seed. Um, but uh, ever since then, like Rhode Island, I watched a video and they're like, oh, Rhode Island's going to take it. They're going to upset Oregon. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, know, like, dang it. Like, oh, man. And then we play uh, Michigan, who Michigan had, like, this crazy season, like, crazy end of the season. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, Michigan's going to take it. They're just playing together, like, all this stuff. And then, oh, Kansas is going to stomp Oregon. Like, but that's kind of how I feel like Oregon always is, like – and and I'm yeah, always they're very underappreciated. They are, and I think people don't people don't understand it. People don't even like, and it's not and it's not just our college sports too. It's yeah. it's uh, the Blazers, Blazers. Uh, the NBA team yeah. that we have here, like always underestimated. Yeah, and I mean the simple fact is like Oregon doesn't really go the distance all that often. No. Like just look at our our uh, college football team. You know when was it like two three years ago? <laughs> Yeah, we go to the national championship uh, uh, undefeated. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we had two two in in the span of like four years where we went to the national championship and then lost. When I was in like 2010, 2011, God, we lost by like two points. Should have won that game. And then yeah, that was depressing. A couple years ago, when we had Marcus Mariota lose to Ohio State and just got trounced, dude. That was that was depressing. Yeah. I was so depressed. And, like, I get so upset because, like, my whole life I've rooted for Oregon sports, whether it's the Blazers or or I guess I even kind of consider the Mariners, you know, the Pacific Northwest. I'd root for the Mariners well, back in thing. the day. And, like, we, you'd yeah. make it so far and then we'd lose. Like, I always have picked the losing team. Like, I was telling Alia, like, I'm the biggest loser because I've never picked a team that's won. <laughs> like, the only time I've no, ever dude. followed a team that's won, like, the championship was freaking Evil Geniuses, like, two years ago in Dota 2. <laughs> but see, I, uh, I, I followed Evil Geniuses as well because they're... North American. They're local. They're West Coast, yeah. dude. Like, yeah, you got they're in San Francisco, I think. And yeah, dude, freaking uh, fear. Fear, yeah. Uh, he's from Medford, like so. Obviously, I'm gonna go for the team that has the old Oregon boy on it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the same way, dude. I go by region, and it's like I'm, <laughs> you know, Oregon has its problems, I guess. But the Pacific Northwest in general, like, you know, not known we are supposed to have like the most fanatical sports followings. <laughs> of anywhere outside of like European football, really? <laughs> <laughs> which is just like, that's a badge of honor. Yeah. And, and anybody who listening to this is like, I, I don't care about sports. It's like, that's fine. You don't have to, but it's the stuff that nerds are really made of. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, dude, All when you're working on a game and you're programming and you're like building stat system and stuff, like, yeah, dude. I don't know about you, Taylor, but I always got, I always have like sports kind of in the back of the mind a little bit. Like, yeah. Well, and I'm not a huge sporto sports guy. I'm not either. But... I like stopped. I mean, I played sports in high school and stuff, but like I stopped watching sports, like, like from eighth grade through 
the end of college until I started watching Oregon football again. Yeah. You know, I might catch a game here and there, but like ever since like 2011, I don't know if I've missed a football game and now I'm getting stoked on basketball and uh yeah. I don't know. Oh, I've always preferred basketball to football. Um It's nice basketball is like the games are quick. Um yeah. Fast-paced, you know. Football games. I just like the back and forth. And what's nice about the college level is they put their arms up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And they actually call Maybe travels. Just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's like less drama queens in there who like. Well, it's more about the team. It's not as much about like the one player, you know, because yeah, in college basketball, the team, the team who is like the least selfish usually, usually does the best. And that's the games that are fun to watch, yeah. dude. Well, that's why Oregon's cool is because every like they're starting five. I think all of them average like ten points or higher, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, because they just they share well, the that, ball. That's the fun thing about the Blazers, though, too. Is like they've always had a really diverse bench, really deep bench, uh, and you see a lot of like actual basketball and not just LeBron James taking it up the middle, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, and even like even like I don't know if you how much pro ball you follow, but like even the Golden State Warriors, like since they got rid of Durant, like they oh they got rid of Durant. Uh, I think so. Dang, I'm gonna sound like an idiot no. if not. Wow. But I was watching yesterday, and it, uh, and I think somebody was saying they got rid of Durant. Huh. But well, and you look at their games, and they're uh, they're actually like moving the ball and like waiting for good shots rather than Durant just <laughs> taking it and making it every time. Yeah. You know, like. It's more fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. Well, what And also, it's kind of kind of like what you said too before. It's uh, you know, if you can f- kind of get involved in like the narrative of the sport too, it becomes more fun yeah, to like follow. Definitely. Like you were saying like you follow the team and it's you kind of get involved with like the storyline of it almost. Yeah. And it's Well, it's and fun. going back like to just the modern age, like all the students around here are you know, like they see these guys on campus. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter and, like, you know, get kind of on the inside mm-hmm. of what's going on with them, and it just feels like you're connected, which is pretty cool. So, and like, yeah, especially for Oregon, like Oregon's mostly rural, and so like you don't have this kind of like star, I guess, very often around you. So. It's it's just a lot of fun. So, anyways, I hope Oregon wins uh, playing tomorrow. Hope they beat yeah. UNC. Maybe next week we'll come back happy or sad. I don't know yet. So, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah. So, getting back into actually actual game development. <laughs> uh, you want to talk? We didn't really. What? What were you gonna say? <laughs> I was going to just say, uh, we didn't really um, get a chance to code together really this week. We did once on what, like Wednesday night or something. Yeah. Um, and we just like, we're not feeling it. Yeah. Um, well, dude, our code is like, we have a lot of code. We probably have like yeah. 2,000 lines of code and like yeah. trying to remember these little things, even though like we've commented our code pretty well, I feel like. Um Yeah. It's hard to if you're not just rolling. It's like, oh, what does that function do again? And then you have to like read the comments or look through the code. And yeah, I, I was I was kind of thinking about this, <clears throat> the problem, uh, because we spent twenty or thirty minutes 
of our hour session the other night, like just reacquainting ourselves, like not only with how the code was situated, but with our goal. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like we had to like really rediscover where we were headed and what we were doing. And I think much like we do the show notes and stuff, I think we should just jot down like a few sentences about where we were headed and like where we think we should pick up. That's a really good idea. Uh, because that's what I do for writing. Like one of the things I discovered when I'm writing a story is that if I have to stop, the number one killer of my mojo, because like I'm a momentum worker. I, I can't like, I'm not a very like cold start kind of guy. Like, I don't know how you are, mm-hmm. but I really got to like build momentum no matter what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. If it's chores, I got to build momentum. If it's, if it's writing a story, if it's uh, working on a report for work, if it's doing any of these things, like I really got to kind of like slow into it, build up the momentum, boom, 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 you boom, boom. Farm. And then I could work all day as long as I don't stop. Yeah. Um, but the moment I stop, it kills me. And that's my stories. So what I do is when I'm writing, do, 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 and I have to stop for any reason, I you do a down. few line spaces, and then I write down a paragraph of the thoughts that are in my mind. I say like, go ahead and flesh out this thing. Like, remember like the character wants to do this. He wants to do this. And and you have this scene in your mind about this thing happening and you want to have this cool thing and that cool thing. And you want to, you make sure you use this line. Cause that's where this scene was headed. Like it culminated with you envisioning like this line of dialogue in your mind or, or with this scene set up in your mind and go this way. Hey, maybe this is a cool thing you can do too. Think about that when you're writing. And then when I come back, I can read that and be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> and just go, you know? Yeah. It'd be a really good idea to do some kind of logging. Yeah. Like, each time we have a session. Well, and that would be good, too, to know, like, when we last coded or how many times we went this week or whatever. But each time, just do kind of a little synopsis of what we did and where we want to go. Um, I agree. That's a really good um, idea. Yeah. I like it. Let's do it. All Next right. time we code, we'll start a little dev log. Okay. And uh, I'm write that down. Just keep some notes. Devlog. That way we can spend less time reacquainting ourselves with not only our code, but like what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. And more time coding. Yeah. Which uh, it's hard to find the time. Um, but I'd like to start doing it more regularly. It'd be nice, like, if we could accomplish our, uh, you know, 15 minutes a day or whatever by working on what we are working on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I know um, it's a lot of like coordination, like making sure both of us are free, um, whatever else. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, like the last two weeks, like just so much, not even so much going on, but just like so much kind of like different stuff with the schedule that, you know, it was just like easier <laughs> to like not text you and see if you were free a certain day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I was kind of free last night. I got home at like eight or nine and I was going to text you, but I was like, eh, he hasn't texted me. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to play dumb, you know? Yeah. No. And it's kind of a sad thing. But well, and- honestly, I think too, I just needed a little bit of breathing room to catch my bearings because I was like on hard burn the last like five or six weeks, yeah. like between between working all these different jobs, between starting my other podcast, starting this podcast, you know, trying to stay up on learning code, but also like getting the podcast off the ground and doing all this sort of stuff. Like I was on hard burn and 
Yeah. I kind of like burned myself out just a little bit. For sure, but, man. Um, it's understandable. And I do appreciate you uh, getting that episode out this week. That was, it was fun listening to it. Cause I, I mean, we're like six weeks ahead or something like that. Yeah. And so you, I've forgotten the things that we've talked about. So it's kind of cool, like getting it uh, published or whatever. And then you're like, oh, hey, it's up. And I listen to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, we talked about that. That's interesting that that's what we talked about because we're like in a totally different place now. <laughs> I know, which is actually kind of funny because it's come back like because anybody who's listening to this, like the, ep- the, the episode we just posted is like episode three or something. Um, and we're on episode 10 ish. Yeah, I think so. And so what we talked about back then was like kind of pixel art. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because then we spent all these episodes not talking about Pixar, and here we are, like, and our main focus, like, the last two weeks yeah. has been artwork. Yeah, right? <laughs> so it's kind of funny how it lined up with, like, the release of it was kind of in line with what we're where doing. we are now. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because um, I was, like, listening to it, and I was like, man, how could I do this? Like, I don't, I don't think I'm cut out for this. And then this week, like, or last week, I, like, made, yeah. like, huge strides, and I was like, dang, dude. Like, I actually made progress. This is cool. So, yeah. So we're succeeding. No, dude. Even if we have zero listeners, we're succeeding in chronically chronicling our journey. For sure. Um, which is and fun. that's like one thing that's come full circle. That's great. Yeah. And I'm excited about it because it's like the more I'm the more I'm getting into kind of like the world of game dev, the more I realize like I do have the skills that can apply to this. I just need to learn more code if I want to be more involved with like the actual development, you know, like um So it's kind of it's kind of fun like realizing, like I'm not totally a fish out of water. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Um, well, did you want to really quickly? I mean, we're approaching an hour, but did you want to quickly talk about the Chris Avalon article? Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> I mentioned that like forty minutes I know. ago. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So this is really cool, dude. You sent this to me, and I I haven't had a chance to like really go through it in depth, but. Chris Avalon has always been one of my favorite writers. And for those of you who don't know, like he freaking wrote Fallout 2, Planescape Torment, which is an absolute must play. Um, he also <clears throat> worked on um, Icewind Dale, New Vegas, Vegas, and also Knights of the Old Republic 2, which I liked more than Knights of the Old Republic 1. Um, some people say I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. I say, fuck you. And I need to replay those games. They're both great. Dude. Absolutely great. And uh, KOTOR 1 is like super solid, like really fun game. But KOTOR 2, man, is has some darkness to it. Yeah. And I really liked the Sith enemies in it. Like so many people didn't, but I thought they were pretty original. You know, like the um, – oh, not the Trinity, but they called themselves something. The, um, the Dark Hand or something like that? I don't The Black remember. Hand? But it's – no, I don't think okay. so. It's been – over I don't a think it was the hand. I played it, but but the enemies were a trio of Sith who were kind of like tied together, and like one of them fed on force energy. It could like kill a whole planet by feeding on that life energy of the planet. The other one like used force energy to like keep themselves alive, and the other one was I don't know the head of them and was like really evil or some shit. I don't remember. It was like the old woman. Um, but like, dude, one of my favorite scenes in that game is like when you're fighting Darth Sion who is the guy who's like, he can come back to life. <laughs> you just sit there and whoop on him and whoop on him and whoop on him. And it's like the quintessential like Jedi versus Sith moment, like whether you're playing dark or light side, 
the dialogue was amazing. He's like, you could strike me down, but I will rise a thousand times. You know, and of course, if you're playing like the light path, you're like, you're like, just let go of your hatred. You know, it's not too late to turn your life around and you can come back to the light and just let go. And he's like, never, you know, and you just keep beating him. And then finally, you can kind of give him like the redemption he wants. Or, you know, like my favorite line of dialogue in the whole game, it's like, you get up a thousand times and I'll kill you a thousand times. <laughs> I remember playing that like three o'clock in the morning on a school night. I'm like, I got nothing but time, bitch. Let's do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it just makes you feel like a real Jedi or yeah. Sith, you know what I mean? Like, it makes you feel like you're really embroiled in the uh, world. That's what I loved about those games in general. Um, I don't remember a lot about them, but I remember just even, like, looking at your portrait, dude. Like, you go in yeah. and you're like, if you're, I, I always played light side just because, I don't know, that's what I do. Because you're a scrub. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you, like, <laughs> look at your guy and he has, like, this, like, shining light on him and he's like looking up or like i've seen like the dark side you know they're all like hunched over with like red in the background like i don't know either way it just makes you really feel powerful and then especially like in the first one you start off just using like swords and then you eventually get your lightsaber and when you do feels really good when you get it i also remember it feels better though it feels better when you get your lightsaber in number two i can't like because you have to create it oh okay that's right I remember, See, though... I, and I'll say... Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, one of my favorite things about this game, this is stupid, but I remember on PC, you could hit X a whole bunch of times, and it, like... And, like, spin your thing. Yeah, well, it, like, it would glitch out. Like, you'd pull out your lightsabers, oh. and then you'd just... It'd be like, whoa, and your lightsabers would just be, like, going crazy around your body. I remember thinking that was so yeah. awesome. Anyways. Yeah. What were we going to say? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I really... Um enjoyed those what was i gonna say well we were talking about how awesome this guy chris avalon is <laughs> i was gonna say something about old the old republic though oh, oh i'll say uh I, I wanted to say real quick uh, one of the novels like i've been working on for a little bit of time was actually uh directly inspired by like the beginning character circumstances of kotor 2 oh, really? because i was playing kotor 2 during that nanowrimo and i was like I was like, oh, like a wizard who doesn't have his powers, like a Jedi who doesn't have his powers. Ah. How cool of an idea. Like, that's where I started gotcha. with that's that. Cool. So, um, nice. yeah. Um, but Chris Avalon. Yeah. Um, um, well, there... Me and Lee have talked about this guy a lot for our podcast at Game at Dinner um, because obviously we're huge fans of New Vegas. It, like, at least Lee is. Yeah, he. Um, and he had a big hand in that. And it's like one of the most well written like fleshed out RPGs. And I loved Morrowind and I thought Fallout three was great, but Fallout Vegas, like the storyline itself just like puts these to shame. I'm although Morrowind, I think personally, I like the storyline a little bit more, but new Vegas is just like creme de la creme, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I've never been like the most hardcore, like RPG guy. So I gotta be honest. I haven't played many of these games that he has written. So I can't speak much for his actual work. But um, this article on Glixel uh, that we'll put in the show notes was really good. And I I just found it kind of fitting because Rhett was talking last week, I think last week, about just the writing process. And this guy is just like a great writer who's been involved with all these really well-known RPGs. And yeah. uh, it was a really good read. Um, one, The biggest thing I got out of it basically was... Um, just like nowadays he talks about how a lot of rpgs don't really have the the 
old school RPG element of like immersing your player and giving them kind of like the freedom of choices as much as they used to. Like nowadays he's talking about how there's so many quests that are basically like you go from point A to point B kind of thing. And uh, you don't actually give your player that much freedom and that many interesting choices to, to choose from. And so he talks about like using the environment to immerse your player and then um, letting them kind of decide how their choices are going to infect, uh, affect the environment. Like he was right. talking about, I can't remember which game, it might have been Planescape, um, where it was kind of like this new thing with uh, fame. I think it was fame, where like one choice you make in like a different part of the realm will have an effect on other parts of the realm. Like people will know who you right. are based off of the choices you make. And uh, I don't know, just the concept that, of that is really cool as opposed to, you know, really linear types of, of storylines and paths and everything. Um, so I thought it was a really good read. If you haven't read it yet, you should definitely check it out. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, people will really enjoy it because it's it's just a Q and A basically, yeah. but it reads really well. Um, and there's some like really interesting information in here. Like he talks a lot about his career and a lot of the different games that he talked on, uh, that he's written for. And uh, one of the things that kind of resonated with me really well is that because I'm like really into like tabletop RPGs and stuff, and uh, a lot of the stuff he says like he kind of compares it. It's like yeah, like well think about it in the realm of like. Uh, like tabletop RPG, like Dungeons and Dragons, for example, it's like the way you craft the story for it and the way you craft the choices, um, you know, this is like what immersive gameplay is like. And, and he lays it all out for you, but it kind of resonated with me because like right now I'm like in the throes, like my other podcast that I'm working on, uh, you guys might've heard me mention it like once or twice. It's called chaotic amateurs and we haven't released it yet, but, uh, I play the DM, uh, for a playthrough of Dungeons and Dragons and I'm creating this world and the story from scratch. And, uh, and one of the things that has like really been a struggle for me is like figuring out how to get my players to like kind of go down the path that I want them to without having to like tell them <laughs> without like without really forcing them to. And sometimes I have to steer a little harder because I didn't lay it out right. But using Chris Avalon's, um, you know, like kind of what he said here, like you use their curiosity to like drive them where you want and so it's like i put a lot of emphasis on on certain things early on in the game so that they would be like okay we'll go that direction because like that's kind of what we know more about you know i don't know it's it sounds hacky and hokey but um letting that curiosity be sort of like the t the the current that like guides them to where you want to go has worked really well. I mean, but it's still something I'm working on. I'm not very good at it yet, but um, no, that's yeah. really cool. And actually, as you're saying that, um, I kind of was like having a conversation in my head just about like the different skills you and I have, and it just like dawned mm -hmm. on me that like you have a lot of game design skills just by being like a DM and your writing skills. Well. Like, yeah. And that's the way that the, that's the terms I always think about it. And is because it's, it's what's weird is like game dev doesn't just apply to video games or right. like computer programming. Right. It's kind of a strange thing. Like there are uh, game developers 
and game designers who work in the electronic field and there are ones who work in the tabletop field. Right. And a lot of the uh, concepts apply like both directions. Like the only difference is like one of them you need to have coding skills. Right. Well, I, and also you don't even necessarily have to do any of the physical work to be a game developer, right? Like Right. Like designing the game itself doesn't mean you need to know C sharp. It doesn't mean you need to know how to use Photoshop or whatever. You're designing the mechanics. You're developing the storyline, um, which not not saying you're not good at the things that we're working on right now, but it really just dawned on to me after, dawned on me after listening to this that I think you are a really valuable game designer because you are really thank you you're really creative. You got the story like. Like you're basically like driving the story kind of in our game that we're making. Um, and you know how to like craft the dialogue, but you also, I feel like you also like going with the Dungeons and Dragons thing, you are just like developing these worlds. And I guess the mechanics are already laid out for you in Dungeons and Dragons, but you probably kind of decide how some of that works too. So. Yeah, well, I've always had more fun, like, when role-playing pen and paper, like, just kind of, <clears throat> like, uh, like, I don't know, it's it's weird because people make so much money off these books, like, especially Wizards of the Coast, like, they make so much money off these books for Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, and I definitely advocate for, like, supporting people who make RPGs that you want to play, and, but it's weird to me because... I've always been more interested in like creating my own system and stuff anyways. And it just happens like to kind of like coincide more with like a different style, like 10 sided dice and stuff like that. But, but like, it's all there. Like if you've played one game of Dungeons and Dragons, like you could take that knowledge you have and figure out how to like make people roll dice (laughs) for certain (laughs) things to like play your own RPG game. You know what I mean? Like it's all there. (laughs) You don't need to have this book to like tell you exactly. Some people have more fun going strictly by the rules, but I've always kind of preferred like going off the cuff, not necessarily off the cuff, but like going off of what I think is a better way to do it. Um, Yeah. Obviously when I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, but um, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, we'll link the uh, article we're talking about with Chris Avalon in the show notes. Uh, link to the 8-bit tutorials. Um, but I think that about does it for this week. Do you have anything else? I guess we need to talk about goals. Yeah, challenges. Um, um. I don't know what I'll say, but I, I wrote down contact Arby Whitaker. you know i I will say like maybe it's a little early to do it because we don't have like we don't really have any questions to ask him or ways to get him involved so i don't know if you want to scratch that one like i think that'll be a good one down the road for sure like me me and kane had a big joke with each other early on in duel of taints because he didn't know who edward james almost it was Mm -hmm. do you know who that is (laughs) (laughs) he's like an actor who is like the lead in the Battlestar Galactica oh. and also he's like in other stuff. Like he's in the beginning of West wing. He's like the guy who becomes the Supreme court justice that president Bartlett, um, appoints. Okay. Uh, and he's like in other stuff, yeah. <clears throat> but he like, didn't know who he was. And he's like, try to get him on the show. I was like, dude, <laughs> it's 
Edward James almost like he's not going to come on the show. He's like, I don't get, I don't know who this guy is. Like, why wouldn't he come on the show? I'm like, because he's not some like B-rate actor who's nobody's ever heard yeah. of. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he has like 40 million followers. Or I don't know how many mil- followers he has on on Twitter, but he has a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I was like, he's not just going to like respond to my direct message and be like, yeah, have me, uh, have me on the show, guys. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> uh, yeah. But um, um, well, here I got a challenge for right. you. So instead of instead of doing fifteen minutes a day, well, okay, uh, fifteen minutes a day of sketching was good. Yeah. But this week I want you to do fifteen minutes of like free writing, journaling a day. Okay. Is that too much? No. Like, you can do it on your computer. You can do it in a notebook. But basically, you're going to set a timer, and for 15 minutes, you're just going to write whatever comes to mind. And if you need a prompt, like, go to uh, – I often go to artprompts.org, which I use for my sketches. <sighs> Hang on real quick. <laughs> Little Luna. God, she's irritating. Sorry, guys. Um, artprompts.org. Artprompts.org, and I use it for my sketches all the time. And there's, you know, there's stuff here: character, creature, environment, object, situation, challenge, or and basically, you get a prompt. You just click on one of those. It doesn't matter what. I find that it works just as well for drawing as it does for writing. And you get a little prompt, like here. I clicked one and it says "stalking the senpai." I think that's dumb. You can click refresh and just getting another one uh, if you want. But anyway, yeah. a sting operation at the post office. Oh, that's cool. There you go. Write out a little scene about a sting operation at the post office. It can be anything you want. Um, that's cool. I like that. Or just write what's in your head, you know? Okay. So um, you can just write what you're thinking, what you're feeling about game development or podcasting or the ducks. Yeah. Uh, but just get the words flowing a little bit. Uncork them. Okay. Um, my challenge to you this week is uh, to... I don't know if you have pixel art or uh, pixel edit installed. Um, I do. By the way, um, this week I did some experimenting um, with pixel edit. Uh, we Rhett bought it for me on a humble bundle for like a dollar, uh, and it's pretty awesome. After watching the Akebit tutorials, he kind of like proves to me that you can really use any kind of software to do pixel art because you're just using basically the pencil tool uh, and clicking one pixel at a time. But uh, pixel edit does have some advantages that I found pretty cool, especially if you're dealing with animation because you can make like a sprite strip and uh, actually do the animating in the, the program. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just really have been enjoying it. So um, you guys can, maybe we can link to their website, but it's like $9 right now. Um, and I think it's worth it. You don't you don't need it by any means. Like definitely use something free to get started if you want. But I I already I, had I think it. there is a free version of Pixel Edit, but oh, okay. uh, the Pro version has a lot more like versatility. I see. But yeah. I mean, nine dollars is pretty inexpensive, um, and I haven't been enjoying it. I started using it since I have it, but Paint.net worked really well too. So, uh, but my challenge to you, Rhett, is to install Pixel Edit if you already haven't. And I want you to um, use use Pixel Edit to design some sort of character this week. 
Okay. It can be any anything cool. you've already done, and you're just converting it to a like pixel art style. Um, sure. And if you want extra credit, try to learn how the animation works. Do a little animation. Um, if, Sounds if good. If you wanted to, we could also do that together because I messed around with it enough to kind of figure out how it works. So. Sure. Um, and also, if you guys want to follow along with uh, with the art we're making, we are posting like our sketches and digital art we're making in um, our Google Drive, which we've shared out, and we can post that in the show notes as well. So none of it's that great, but yeah. you can see our progress. So yeah, if we can do it, you can too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I feel like this is a good episode. Sorry, I ran a little long. Um, thanks for tuning in. Yes, thank you. All right. This is Game Devs Quest. Cue that music.